More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rush Limbaugh program and the EIB Network, a three-hour excursion into broadcast excellence that sounds unlike anything anywhere else out there you can watch or listen to. And you can watch this program if you are a member i.e. a subscriber at RushLimbaugh.com. We call it Rush 24-7. You get to watch the program on the Ditto Cam. You got all the Ditto Cam archives that you can consult. In fact, we even have an Apple TV app that is exclusively the Ditto Cam. And it's live. And, of course, we have archived collections of previous and past programs. Anyway, the phone number, if you want to be on the program today, is 800-282-2882. The email address, LRushbaugh.com. At EIBnet.us. I've had some people tell me that I've been sounding too amped up lately. Not, 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 not true. Not true. Well, by, by amped up, they mean um, uh, energy level and all that kind of stuff. Well, somebody, somebody said to me the other day, a friend of mine out in, uh, in, in Kansas City, he said, you sound, you sound five years younger. And I don't know if he meant voice or uh, energy level, or if I may be sounding hipper, you know, younger in terms of... Okay, well, all right, then I won't then I won't change anything. I won't change anything. The, the amped up is not a, really a criticism uh, from just... Uh, more a... You sure you can maintain it? Actually, I feel like I can, so... I'm just I'm just doing what 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 comes naturally here. It's great to be here. We are at... Uh, well, this is... This is Middle of week, this is Wednesday. Oh, I may as well tell you now. Next week is treatment week. And so I'm going to be gone. I'm going to do the program Monday. And then I will be splitting the scene. The target date for returning will be Friday. I have a I have a, an additional procedure that will be done next week as part of the treatment, which is a good thing. Uh, it, it is happening because of a good sign, but it's going to require me to be away from the program for an additional day. So it looks like 
uh, if, if things go well, I'll be working Monday and Friday of next week with Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off. But there's always a caveat on the Friday because that's the aftermath of the treatment. You never know what the side effects are going to be. They've been minimal this time around. So uh, there, now you have had ample warning. Look, before get there's some really hot to trot meat and potato stuff on the program today here, folks. And I can't wait to get to all of it. But there's some polling data that I want to share with you. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm the first guy to eschew polling data. And because I think so much of it is fake and I think so much of it's illegitimate. I think so much of it is used to try to shape public opinion rather than ostensibly reflect it. But there are those times where I think it is useful regardless what it is. And there are a couple of stories here. First, Rasmussen reports the daily presidential tracking poll. Uh, Looks like Trump is back up to 48% likely U.S. voters approve of the job. He was even down in the, you know, what was it, 40% or 39% in, uh, in some polls. The latest... Figures include 37% who strongly approve of the job Trump is doing, 41% who strongly disapprove. Uh, and th- this is back to normal. That, that, that number of 48% in the Rasmussen poll is back to normal. And it shows the Trump trend line as, as going in the right direction positively. You see, Trump did not organize the massacres in the blue state nursing homes. He's he's not Trump's not the guy out there painting streets and ignoring killers shooting up neighborhoods. That's not Trump. Trump is cheering the use of affordable, clean burning natural gas. Biden is cheering the Green New Deal from Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Uh, Trump is out supporting the police while Biden is supporting Antifa and Black Lives Matter. And so as as time goes on, this race is going to be seen for what it is between an indefatigable leader and builder and a sad to say mentally impaired follower. And poor, you know, even yesterday on the prompter. Joe Biden called Arizona a city. On the prompter, Mr. Snurdly. He called Arizona a city. He said we need to get our kids to market swiftly. Our kids to market swiftly. And he talked about the economy we need for the future. I've never I don't know what a economy is that Joe was talking about. There's also polling data from the day before. And this is from John Solomon's website. Uh, And this is Scott Rasmussen, who is marginally more trustworthy than most pollsters. And this is a comparison poll to a month ago. Trump has cut Biden's lead almost in half, gaining 13 points among independents since last month. You're not hearing this from anybody else. This is one of the reasons why I'm taking the time to inform you Because this is the exact kind of polling data that's ignored by the drive-bys. All of the gains come from male voters. But this is a big deal. Trump cutting Biden's lead almost in half, gaining 13 points among independents. The precious. 
uh, independents. Most of the gains are all of them from male voters. And in both polls, Trump trailed by 14 points among women. However, a month ago, he trailed among men by nine points. This month, he now leads by two, 45 to 43 percent. And I think this is the result of things that are actually happening that people are noticing. Now, here's, you want to talk about an outlier. We don't talk about the Zogby poll much. We used to talk about it frequently, but Zogby is not front and center in the polling discussion. But try this headline. Biden's, and this is from two days ago, Biden's dismal support from blacks threatens his election. And this is a story by Paul Bedard in the Washington Examiner. Bedard is imminently credible. Now, how many of you think that Biden is losing support among blacks? Most people think that it's blacks that got him a nomination. He went out there and uh, had this uh, this powwow with the father of Mignon Clyburn. James Clyburn of the Congressional Black Caucasians had the meeting in South Carolina, and it was Clyburn who urged people via his endorsement of plugs to get the black vote in South Carolina, put Biden over the top, and that's essentially what got him a nomination. Now we've got polling data suggesting that Biden's dismal support from blacks threatens his election. What is this? Well, let's, let's let's see what it says here. Former Vice President Joe plugs Biden's dismal support from black voters, now confirmed in two polls, is likely to force his campaign to choose a black woman as his running mate. That is a foregone conclusion. This according to a Democrat pollster in his latest Zogby poll and EMI Research Solutions poll, Biden has the support of 77 percent of black voters, while 14 percent back President Trump. Republican officials have told uh, Paul Bedard, the Washington Examiner, that if Trump maintains that 17 percent, that 14 percent of support from blacks, he's going to win. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, Republican, said in February, game over if we get 14% of the black vote. Uh, I'm sure you haven't heard that. I mean, the, the conventional wisdom is that Biden is going to clean up in the black, but that's why he got the nomination, that none of the other Democrats... You stop and think. Can you... Stop and think what the Democrat Party is doing. This is strange. You had Hillary Clinton. She did an interview out there with Trevor Noah. And let me check the audio soundbite roster. I need to see if we have any of that. Because it was just, and we might have had it yesterday and I didn't get to it. But man, oh man, she just can't give it up, folks. She just can't let go of it. Yeah, we must have had it yesterday. I didn't get to it. She's out there talking about how Trump won't leave if he's reelected, if he if he loses, and how he didn't really win in two thousand fourteen, two thousand sixteen, because of the Russians, she she can take. She'd be on help. She's totally gone now, folks. She cannot. She is She cannot get over the fact that she lost. She has yet to come to grips with it. And what was that? That the Democrat Party had to get behind her and literally prop her up because she couldn't stand up. She couldn't go up the steps of a bus. She was impaired in a lot of ways. She couldn't do any public appearances because she couldn't draw a crowd. 
And yet she was the nominee. The Democrat Party got behind somebody who couldn't campaign on her own, who didn't have the, in her case, I think it's true, too, she didn't have the mental acuity to be able to pull it off. She didn't have the stamina. She didn't have, you know, she she would, like Biden, in a way, she'd lose her train of thought after a certain passage of time. And so they had to sequester her. They had to keep her quarantined, essentially. And the same thing is true of Biden. Now, in Hillary's case, the more invisible she was, the higher her numbers were because the negatives declined. And that's the same thing with Biden. Now, you have the Democrat Party with two elections in a row working as hard as they can to prop up two seasoned citizens that are not all there. It is the strangest thing. I mean, they're really working hard to prop them up. Now, in the case of Biden, as I have said over and over again, the real point, question, answer, the real thing about Biden is who is it that's propping him up? Who is it that's actually going to be president? Is it one person or is it a committee? But whoever it is, they are not running. We don't know who they are. They are not having to raise any money for themselves, and they are not going to be on the ballot. Yet they, he, she, whoever, is actually going to be running the country. Everybody thinks that Biden's vice presidential choice is key because his VP is going to be running the country someday. And likely very soon because Biden will not be able to carry forward. Uh, And the conventional wisdom is that he might actually turn the reins of power over rather quickly after he wins, that he's just nothing more than a placeholder even now. Which makes sense. He doesn't have the folks. He doesn't have stamina. It is not a personal criticism. This is just a reaction to the undeniable characteristics of age. And how that manifests in people, it's different from person to person. In Joe Biden's case, it's a lack of mental acuity. We've seen it. It's senility, whatever you call it. But they're propping him up. They're still propping him up. They had, look at it, 16, 20 different people running for this office. And for some reason, the powers that be, the Democrat Party, didn't think any of them could win. So they had to all focus around Biden. But who is it that's actually going to be president? I don't hear hardly anybody else talking about this, at least the way I am. But I think it's a key question. It may be a committee. It could be just one person. I don't know who it is. It could be Al Gore and John Kerry together. I have no idea who it is. But it still fascinates me. The Democrat Party in the last two elections has had to work overtime propping up two people who cannot win on their own and they know it. And yet they think that they've already won. They think it is a slam dunk because they believe Twitter is America and they believe that Donald Trump is universally hated and despised by a huge majority of Twitter, a huge majority of America. They're out to lunch on it, they're wrong about it, and they're lying to themselves yet again. 
I just I, I find it fascinating of all the people that could have been the Democrat nominee for two elections in a row. They've chosen somebody they literally have to prop up. They cannot stand up on their own. Cannot function on even with a teleprompter. It's still a risk putting Joe Biden out there. Now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, did you see what the director of the Centers for Disease Control happened to say? Did you hear about that? You haven't heard this? Uh, let's see. Grab somebody number five. This is Dr. Robert Redfield. He's the director of the Centers for Disease Control. You're not hearing this bite anywhere out there. Redfield said this. And there was abject disagreement and panic all over the place. And they sequestered, they quarantined the video. This happened yesterday on the Journal of American Medical Association website during conversations with Dr. Buckner. The podcast, of course, uh, Dr. Howard Buckner interviewing Dr. Redfield. And during a discussion about the growth of coronavirus infections in the South. Listen to what Redfield's explanation for that is. If you look at the South, everything happened around June 12th to June 16th. It all simultaneously kind of popped. We're of the view that there was something else that was the driver. Maybe the Memorial Day, not weekend, but the Memorial Day week, where a lot of Northerners decided to go South for vacations. Did you hear that? He is saying that the reason this massive number of infections is happening in the South is because Northerners fled their homes and took it with them. That it is not the result of irresponsibility or bad governance in the South in states like Florida or Alabama or Texas. We are of the view... That there was something else that was the driver. Maybe the Memorial Day, uh, not weekend, Memorial Day week. A lot of Northerners decided to go south for vacations. This con- this, this this conflicts tremendously with Dr. Fauci and everything else. Okay, sit tight. Another brief break here and we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. So in a nutshell, the director of the Centers for Disease Control says... That the recent outbreak, increase in reported number of COVID-19 cases in the South is due to Northerners heading South for vacation. That may be the reason for the outbreak, not the fact that states reopen, not the fact that they reopen bars and restaurants, not what you have been told That it's improper governance, that it was eagerness to reopen before it should have happened. Because the South hadn't yet experienced large outbreaks like the Northeast. Many southern states and cities reopened the bars and the gyms in what was said to be too early a policy. And they didn't require people to wear masks or to practice social distancing that seriously. And so everybody thinks, well, they were irresponsible, bad leadership, typical Republicans, don't care. People die, that's fine with Republicans. All this rot gut that the American left and the Democrats put out. And now the CDC guy says, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with governments, governance, bad governance. had to do with the fact a bunch of Northerners that already had the disease went south 
for vacation. In other words, it was the damn Yankees. And, and he said this on a podcast, a very obscure podcast that nobody has heard. And that just ties in, folks, with this this brewing scandal. The It's not a potential scandal. It is the biggest story in the country today, which we told you about yesterday. More than 300 COVID testing labs in Florida reported 100% positive rates. Not possible. And yet that's why all these huge numbers in Florida have been reported. Be right back. Hi, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Rush Limbaugh, the EIB Network. Okay, my guy in Kansas City said, no, no, I meant your voice sounds five years younger. I didn't mean that you sound five years more energetic. That's okay. I appreciate the clear. I've had a lot of people telling me my voice sounds better, so seems to be a genuine general consensus on that. Anyway, this this is a huge, huge story, and it was started by a Fox station in Orlando. Fox Orlando, Channel 35, reporting that Florida hospitals are making massive mistakes with coronavirus case reporting. The biggest story in the country, and you can't find it. You literally can't find it, certainly not anywhere, in uh, the drive-by media. More than 300 COVID testing labs in Florida reported 100% positive rates. That simply isn't possible. Every person they tested was reported as positive. Upon investigation, the actual positive cases were 10 times lower. Now, this opens the question, how many other states have been reporting fake numbers? Alex Berenson, the former New York Times reporter who has now become a Twitter expert on the virus, is saying that Texas's numbers are also off the rails, that they are not accurate. Here's a story from JustTheNews.com, John Solomon's site. Florida hospital admits its COVID positivity rate 10 times lower than first reported. The Fox station reported that area hospital Orlando Health confirmed errors in the report. Hospital officials stating that their positivity rate is only 9.4%, not 98%. That's 10 times lower. Another Orlando area lab, Veterans Medical Center, listed a positivity rate of 76%, but a company official said that the positivity rate for the center is actually only 6%. What is, is it, is incompetence this profound? Is it, is it this rampant? Or is this corruption? The inflated numbers come as Florida has been recording record numbers of COVID-19 infections, though an an analysis of uh, state data by Just the News last week revealed the state's recent record-breaking counts of infections may have been overestimated by as much as 30%. Well, too bad because the, the, um, the horses are out of the barn now. Everybody thinks that Florida is, is uh, ground zero, that it's the new hot spot that everybody in Florida is getting sick and they're all going to die. That's the desired effect all this is having. 
We have been, folks, we have been intentionally misled about the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine. We have been misinformed on the effectiveness of masks. Early on, information was withheld about nursing home deaths. There's still no accountability for the people involved in that scandal, such as Governor Cuomo. Fatality rates by age group are difficult to find. Alleged infection rates are screaming headlines, but hospitalization and fatalities are buried and not reported. And now we can't even have an honest discussion about sending kids back to school because all the data we're dealing with is flawed. It's corrupted. For crying out loud, 300 testing centers in Florida report 100% positive rates. So on top of all that, we now see the COVID infection rate in Florida grossly misreported. It's either by the hospitals or by the media. I I, I don't care. But we're not getting facts. And it doesn't surprise me because who's in charge of the dissemination of this information? Drive-by media, ultimately. They're told whatever they are told, and then they can make adjustments in it or fake it up or lie about it or report it truthfully, whichever it is that advances their leftist agenda, which is all that matters. And that means the only thing that matters is November 3rd. Everything is about November 3rd. Everything is about defeating Trump. That is the prism through which you have to see every bit of COVID-19 news. We get narratives and lies. We don't get facts. And we know why. COVID is just the latest excuse to get rid of Trump, like Russian collusion, phony quid pro quos. It's... Folks, the country can't function like this. If the people are routinely lied to, Not given true factual information, such as on something as important as opening the schools, then we are up a creek. More than 300 COVID testing labs. I'm going to say this again. More than 300 COVID testing labs in Florida reported 100% positivity rates. The actual numbers 10 times lower. That drastically changes the news out of Florida in terms of the number of cases. A huge story. Now, why would the Democrats care? They had a bad news Florida narrative, and that's all that mattered. They got a bad news narrative out of every state that they need. You know what's really sick? What's really sick is the Democrats cheered when they saw massive positivity results in Florida. The media was happy about it. It was great news. It was bad for Trump, don't you see? It gave them an additional opportunity to spread this narrative that Trump is incompetent, that Trump doesn't know how to lead during a pandemic, that Trump doesn't care, that Trump is just trying to ignore it, that Trump's just trying Trump is not trying to ignore it. Trump is trying to inspire people to be adults about this and realize that we can do a whole bunch of things at the same time. That we do not allow ourselves to get trapped and paralyzed by fear. But we have been. Fear is paralyzing people. And we, t- and we find out now that the source of the fear is not 
true. It is flawed. The data is not being reported to us accurately and honestly. So now the news comes out about the truth of the Florida numbers and the Democrats are not happy. Well, they're never happy about anything, but they're not happy. Stop and think of that. This ought to be news that should please everybody. It's not as bad as we thought. No, that's not good for the Democrats. They rooted for hydroxychloroquine to fail. They were thrilled to see 100% positivity rates in Florida. But they don't care that Cuomo's policies led to a massacre in New York nursing homes. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the culmination of all this is found in the next headline. It's at thehill.com today in a story reported by somebody named Reed Wilson. Public's disconnect from COVID-19 reality worries experts. United States is being ravaged by a deadly pandemic that is growing exponentially. No, maybe it isn't, is the point. United States being ravaged by a deadly pandemic, growing exponentially, overwhelming healthcare systems. No, it isn't yet. That's another myth. It's costing thousands of lives to say nothing of an economic recession that threatens to plague the nation for years. All of which has the Democrat Party cheering, Mr. Wilson. All of which has Pelosi and Schumer at all ecstatically happy. But the American public... Seems to be over the pandemic. This is, I'm reading from The Hill. They're panicked because a lot of people are going on with their lives as though there is no pandemic. They just, they're dealing with it however they have to. And they're very concerned out there. The American public seems to be over the pandemic. The American public seems eager to get their kids back in school. Why the hell not? Why is that abnormal? Wanting your kids back to school is not abnormal. It is the essence of normalcy, wanting your kids back in school. The American public seems ready to hit the bars and restaurants again. The American public hungry for Major League Baseball. What's wrong with any of that? You see where this is going? You see how this is all put together? The American people going about their lives... While there is a pandemic, while the virus is out there, why this is dangerous, the American public are not listening to the experts. Why should we when they're lying to us? Why should we listen to the experts when they're not experts? The degree to which institutions we used to trust have been corrupted, it's only common sense that makes people question or doubt the news coming. How in the world, what, what, Mr. Wilson, everybody else in the in the media, how in the world are the American people supposed to react when they were lied to for four years and counting on this Russia collusion crap? There was no Russian collusion. There was no collusion. Trump did not act as an agent for Vladimir Putin, secret otherwise. There was nothing to that story. You expect the American people, oh, you guys made a mistake, but we still trust you. You think there's no consequence? For journalistic malpractice, you think there's no consequence for getting things as wrong as you all did? 
starting on election night 2016 and counting? You're still trying to service this Russian narrative. The Democrats are still saying that Trump is a potent agent. You haven't had a shred of evidence because there isn't. You expect the American people to simply chalk it up as you gave it your best shot. You really tried. You really thought you had the truth. But that wasn't the case, especially when you haven't apologized, when you haven't even acknowledged you got it wrong, when you haven't even acknowledged how wrong you were. And so now the public not believing you on your scare tactics and fear mongering on the virus worries experts. It means that you're losing your ability to manipulate. It means that you're losing your ability to indoctrinate. It means that you think you're losing your ability to propagandize. And that's why you're worried. Because you can't get away automatically with manipulation, with indoctrination and with proper propaganda any longer. You've lied too often, too frequently about big things. You misled people for years on big things, and you have yet to acknowledge it. And yet somehow it's the American people's fault for wanting their kids back in school. The American people's fault for wanting baseball and football and all the other sports to kick up again. The American people are dangerous because they're ready to go back to bars and restaurants. The startling divergence between the brutal reality of the virus and the fantasy land of forthcoming return to normalcy. This is a news story. This is even an opinion piece. Unless it's an opinion piece and I didn't notice. But you can't even tell the difference in those anymore, which was the point of Barry Weiss who quit the New York Times yesterday. But listen to this. i got to take a break here quickly, but listen. The startling divergence between the brutal reality of the Bible. What brutal reality? We think you're lying to us. And the fantasy land of a forthcoming return to normal. Oh, it's a fantasy to think that we can return to normalcy in our lives? It's a fantasy to even desire this? Yes, and it has public health experts depressed and angry, uh, anxious about what is to come. The worst is not behind us, they say, by any stretch of the imagination. You know, the problem here, you believe these experts and you don't even question them. You don't even have any doubt about them. When they're never right. The models that you've been using to project death cases, they haven't been right. You still cite them. I gotta go. Quick time out. Don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, uh, so let me ask you a couple of uh, questions. If if this was a real, real healthcare threat, why would there be so much false testing and reporting? Because there clearly is now. 300 uh, COVID test sites in Florida report 100% positivity. Who knows the data in other states? And I'm not saying that there's not a virus out there. I'm not saying it's not getting people, but... We're not being told factual information about it. Why? Why would there be so much false testing and reporting? Why all of the false causes on death certificates? Why the staged overrunning of hospitals? Hospitals are not being overrun like you're being told. 
Why the blaming of reopening states instead of the riots? So the riots got no blame whatsoever. Now we got the CDC say, wait a minute, it may have been northerners moving south on vacation over Memorial Day that led to the spike in the south. My, my only point is, if we really did have the serious threatening virus they are telling us, no one would have to make anything up. Nobody would have to fudge anything. The evidence would be abundantly clear. That's just it. There isn't any clear evidence. That's why there are so many people that doubt it. There's so many different explanations about let me grab a call try to get one quickly in central florida this is terry she is an intensive care nurse great to have you with us hi thank you Rush. thank you for all you do you are welcome go ahead we, we don't have much time okay the numbers are definitely skewed um they can test a patient in the emergency room the test be negative if the patient runs fever that night they they do another COVID test on them again because they're thinking maybe we didn't get it right the first time. Maybe they really are. The majority of these patients that we're getting, a lot of them are for, nur- for nursing homes. If a nursing center gets a bunch of positives, they dump the entire uh, wing to the hospital. So we've had a huge influx in the nursing home patients. Why are they these doing this? They're not even coughing. These patients are not even coughing. They're running low-grade fevers, but they're not being intubated. Why, why are they reporting people as positive if they're not? Why are they continually I, test people until they get a positive? I have no idea. All they are is just fear-mongering. The nurses are like, oh, my gosh, we're running from room to room. We, you know, we don't want to take it well, somebody's telling. Wait a minute. Somebody's telling them to do it. Yes. I think that uh, a lot of these tests that we do are sent to the health department, and the health report health department reports to the CDC. I think that's where that's where the corruption is. The nurses are so over this. We are all so exhausted and over this. I can imagine. I, I that I totally understand. I mean, you're doing your jobs. You see the truth every day. Then you go turn on the news, and you see stuff that's not reflective of what you're seeing every day and what you know. Appreciate the call. We are coming right back. Got some audio sound bites you have to hear. Get to them at the top of the next hour, right when we get back. Scott Atlas advocating for opening the schools based on science on Fox News this morning. Don't miss it. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Great to be with you. Great to have you with us here, Rush Limbaugh and the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. I am America's real anchorman. I'm also America's detector of truth. And general all-round good guy. Happy to be here. 800-282-2882 if you want to be on the program. Raging argument. In America, over whether or not to send our kids back to school. Do you realize how ridiculous this is? We have never, even during the Spanish flu pandemic, we have never done what we are doing now. And we have certainly never been governed by fear. And we now have an entire political party that wants this country shut down as much as it can be. Economically, educationally. You name it, it is obscene. And they are doing this for one reason. They can't find a way to either defeat or get rid of Donald Trump. And so your kids and you and your job 
and this economy are going to be made to pay the price for you voting for the guy and for you continuing to support him. It is the most, it's like Trump comes along, has a slogan, make America great again. That is controversial. Sending our kids back to school is controversial when all of the data suggests it might be the safest place for them. There are studies like this from all over the world. German study finds no evidence coronavirus spreads in schools. Largest study carried out on school children and teachers in Germany found traces of the virus in fewer than 1% of students and teachers. Scientists from Dresden Technical University said they believe children may act as a break on the chain of infection. Professor Reinhard Berner, the head of pediatric medicine at Dresden University Hospital, a leader of the study, said the results suggested the virus does not spread easily in schools. He said it's rather than the op- it's rather the opposite, he said. In a press conference, children act more as a break on infection. Not every infection that reaches them is passed on. This means the majority of screwed children do not get infected themselves despite an infection in the household. As I say, these... This German study is just one of countless studies. So today on Fox, get ready for audio sound bites one, two, three, four, and well, that'll be it. Scott Atlas, Hoover Institute senior fellow. He's brilliant. He is conservative. He is fearless. He is a scholar. He is a literal, genuine expert on this data. The COVID-19 data and sending kids back to school. He has He's uh, actually becoming omnipresent out there. He's showing up in a lot of places because he's irrefutable. You can play devil's advocate with him all day long and you will not get him to change his mind. You will not intimidate him because he's got the facts on his side. So he appeared today with Sandra Smith, who did a good job of playing devil's advocate with him. And you could tell that in, in some of the stuff uh, that she was saying, she wasn't quite sure that this guy had it all together, which makes these sound bites even better. So here we have Sandra Smith leading off with Scott Atlas on the whole idea of sending kids back to school. To be clear, while you are saying how important it is to get kids back into school and do so safely, you are encouraging that CDC guidance be followed, that there's mask wearing, social distancing, and all of the precautions that they're recommending? Not for children. That would be irrational. It doesn't matter if children get the disease. They don't get sick from this. And the data shows that they do not significantly transmit to adults. And this is data. This is not a point to stop the spread. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. But I mean, the science 
shows that mask wearing stops the spread of the disease. And don't we have a collective duty in this country to stop the spread? Either believe in the science or you say you believe in the science and act contrary to science. The science says, and this is data from Iceland, Sweden, Switzerland, the Netherlands, France, the UK, Australia, Canada, Ireland, everywhere in the world, Germany, everywhere in the Western world has shown that children do not transmit significantly to adults, even their own parents, and that teachers are not, not at higher risk of getting a disease like this disease from children. You either believe the science or not. You can't insist you believe in the science and then act contrary to science. And by the way, like I said, we are the only country not opening schools. This is absurd. All of that is irrefutable. We're the only country in the Western world not opening the schools. Why is that? It's November 3rd. It's Donald Trump. It's the fact that your Democrat Party can't come up with a way of getting rid of him. They're not even confident they can beat him in an election. So you're going to pay the price. But you notice back early in the bite, she said, she said, but, 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 but wait, isn't the point to stop the spread? I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I mean, the, the science shows that mask wearing stops the spread. Do you know that if you're healthy, that if you don't have the virus and you're not in a high risk group, wearing a mask may not be the smartest thing you could do? The mask may trap other things that you need to get out of your body as you exhale. But the mask is not universally mandated for everybody. And this, of course, is also, I just, I've got the story if I print it out, this is also related to science. But he's as clear as a bell as he can be. You either believe in the science or you say you believe in it and then you don't act on it. And he cites all of these Western civilization countries where they have done the research and they have found that kids don't spread the disease, that teachers are not getting the disease, any significant numbers at all, it's infinitesimal. Kids are not even spreading the disease to their own parents. And he's frustrated here because the science is what it is. And people who claim that they believe the science still want to act outside the parameters of science. Um, isn't the point to stop the spread? Uh, is that the point? D can we stop the spread? That's another question. But is it safe to send kids back to school? Yeah. Now, next bite, Sandra Smith continues to play devil's advocate. I'm glad she did because she drew him out. She, she refused to accept, continued to play devil's advocate, continued to challenge what he was saying, and this is how it sounded. I believe that there is zero reason, in fact, zero excuse. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 stop it. Put it back to the top. She st I thought her question was on the bite. It's not. The question she asked him is, the president says that politics is at play in keeping children from home. Do you believe that? <laughs> I believe that there is zero reason, in fact, zero excuse 
to not have the schools open in person. The Hospital for Sick Kids in Toronto, one of the world's best hospitals, just delineated this. Schools must be in person, no masks, no spacing, because children are not at risk. If you believe that there should be some kind of restriction on schools, you're not talking about children. It's a fascinating conversation. I don't mean to cut you off, but there's so many things to to talk about there. There are kids who fall into the high-risk category. There are kids with asthma. How do you protect them? Well, of course, there is a small minority of children that are at high risk, and those kids need to be protected. That's always true. Seasonal influenza is more risky for children, more than COVID-19. Seasonal influenza is transmitted from children to the high-risk adults who are teachers every year. Seasonal influenza in California, the percent of deaths in children was 5.4%. Zero kids have died from COVID-19. If teachers think that they can't work during this, then they absolutely must say that we have to close schools from November through April. Again, I think this contains routine profundities. So she brings up, well, what about kids with asthma? Well, of course, there's always going to be exceptions to everything and you adapt and you account for them. But you don't take you know, 1% of kids with asthma and say to kids, no, no kids can go back to school which is how we're dealing with this. If there's one imperfection, if there's 1% of imperfection, we got to shut everything down for everybody here because we can't live with the risk, which is cockeyed. Life is a risk. You adapt. Everything is a risk. We're trying to set up some risk-free culture in the middle of a pandemic. It isn't possible. But Russia, but Russia remains a lofty goal. No, it doesn't. It's, ir- it, 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 it's not realistic. And we are, we are paralyzing ourselves. We're punishing ourselves with these irrational demands. Seasonal influenza more risky for children than COVID-19. Zero kids have died from COVID-19. And yet... We can't reopen the schools. It's Trump not caring whether kids live or die. See, this is another thing. Whenever the children end up being involved, the Democrats think they own it. Because Republicans starve kids, don't care about kids, all this other happy malarkey. So we get two more bites here. And in this bite, they play a, a, a clip from, uh, from Redfield um, where Sandra Smith asks Scott Atlas, who is the guest here from the Hoover Institute, to react to it. What we don't know is how this is going to interact with the flu season. And that's what Dr. Redfield is warning. Listen to him and I'll get your thoughts on the other side. Listen. I do think the fall and the winter of 2020 and 2021 are going to be the, probably one of the most difficult times that we've experienced in American public health because of what you said, the co-occurrence of COVID and influenza. So, Dr. Atlas, how do you respond to that? We don't know what an entire flu season looks like combined with COVID-19. There's so much that we still don't know about this disease and the spread of the disease. Doesn't that concern you putting all these kids back into the classroom together? 
I find it bizarre. We don't know everything about any single disease. We know a massive amount. It is proven that children have no significant risk. It is proven that influenza is worse than this for children. It is proven that children don't transmit significantly to adults. That's proven. Why do we keep saying, but we don't know X? Great question. Why do we keep saying, we don't know? We, we do know. We're just in denial. But he's exactly right about the flu. The flu sends hundreds of thousands of people to the hospital. It sends tens of thousands of people to the grave every year. And there's no such thing as anything like this fear about it. Now, I realize that there have been years and years and years of the flu doing what it does. We've had time to adjust to it. We also think we have flu vaccines, and we don't. You go out and get a flu shot, but you don't have a vaccine. I mean, there's nothing that you can do to guarantee you're not going to get the flu. That's what a vaccine does. We have a polio vaccine. And we have some other vaccines. But vaccines for viruses are routinely uh, rare. I mean, they're very difficult to come up with them. But we know that the flu kills a lot of people. And we still keep the schools open. And we know that kids who get the flu can infect anybody. And that teachers who get the flu can infect anybody. And we also know that kids do not pass on COVID-19. They barely get it themselves. And yet we are willing to open the schools when the ravages of the flu hit. But we cannot open the schools during COVID-19 because we don't know it's going to... This is not who we are. And I say that in the context, we are not a nation of people afraid to take risks. We are not a nation of people that lives in constant fear unnecessarily. But that is exactly what's happening. It's as I said yesterday, it's almost generation wide among millennials. Of course, there are exceptions. But it's almost, it's allowing people to stop living their lives. It's allowing people to have an excuse for not amounting to anything. It's, all, it, it's allowing people an excuse not to have to work or work hard because the virus has made us all victims. And when you achieve victim status, A, the Democrat Party loves you because you are essentially saying that you are powerless. You can't do anything. You cannot overcome it. You can't do it yourself. When you are a victim, nothing is your fault. When you're a victim, you don't have to do anything because you can't succeed. Nobody expects you to. When you're a victim, the deck is so stacked against you that you have a built-in reason to live your life in perpetual fear and this is what's happening generation-wide. One more soundbite. She, in this bite, literally, well, not literally, but she really says, would you please 
Listen more closely to Dr. Fauci. We're at the mercy of the medical experts that are obviously advising the president, advising the top levels of our government on all of this, Dr. Atlas. Dr. Anthony Fauci is being taken on by the president's own economic advisor in this new piece published in USA Today. Are you saying that Dr. Fauci's advice, are you disregarding what we're hearing from those top medical experts advising the president? I'm saying look at the science. I'm saying use critical thinking and logic. Things, certain things are known. If you don't believe that, that in the science, then stop saying you believe in the science. The science says open the schools. The hmm. science says there's no risk to children. The science says teachers are not at risk if they go to school. Listen, either schools are an essential business in this country or they're not. I don't understand why people don't take into account the severe harms of not having schools. Yeah. Isn't that what public policy is all about? To weigh what you're doing, not just stopping COVID-19 at all costs. Yeah. If we start acting out of fear and are an outlier in this country this country's finished yes sadly we're close to that be right back don't go anywhere all right let me see yeah let me get another call in here i've only had one and we got to get more than that in there so here we go with uh, jane doe wants to remain anonymous somewhere in texas welcome to the eib network hi thank you rush um i just wanted to make you aware that um, I do coding for uh, different hospitals across the country. What is that? Coding? What, what is coding? Uh, medical coding. We read the report and uh, put numbers to it so that we can build insurance. All right. And um, there's a lot of cases where people come in and say that They've been exposed, but they're being coded as though they have the COVID, even though they haven't even been tested. You've seen this? Yes, sir. Have you been forced to do this? No, I code it properly, but the dictation in the note, I can't control the hospital side of coding. I code for the, the ER doctor. But the hospital side is coding it as though the patient does have the COVID. Even if they've not even been tested, you've seen this happen? Yes, sir. Well. Uh, so the numbers are skewed everywhere. What? Okay, so to, is, is there is a question of money? Uh, the more people that reportedly test positive, is there some kind of financial remuneration for the hospital? Yes. Well, that's pretty simple. <laughs> that yes, Congress. So, uh, no wonder you're having to call in here anonymously and not even tell us what part of the state of Texas that you're in because you're revealing some really earth-shattering information here. Yes, sir, and I've I've seen it for other states across the country. So it's not just Texas. So it's you don't California, you, you, and Arizona, and Oklahoma, and New uh, York, and it's everywhere. It's everywhere, meaning, folks, we're not getting the truth about anything related to COVID-19 and the actual number of cases. The corruption is rampant. It's a sad, sad thing. I'm not looking at the clock. See, we got to go. Quick time out. Back with uh, more before you know it. Hi, welcome back. Rush Limbaugh Talent on loan 
from God. And we'll get back to the phones in just a second. Donald Trump yesterday was uh, was uh, was asked um, why listen to why are African Americans still dying at the hands of the cops in this country? And you know what the president said? He said, so are white people. And the freak out began. But it's a true statement. It's a true statement, but because the president refused to accept the premise. It was a question asked by Catherine Herridge of CBS, formerly of the Fox News Channel. See, this is how it's done. And by the way, Catherine Herridge, she's okay. She just, why, why, why are African-Americans still dying at the hands of law enforcement? So are white people. It's true. In fact, more white people are killed by cops than black people. You can't say that. You can't say that. It goes against the narrative of Black Lives Matter. You can't say it. But it happens to be true. Here are the relevant sound bites. This morning on CBS This Morning, senior investigative co-respondent Catherine Harridge played a report where she interviewed Trump during a segment about race and politics. You said George Floyd's death was a terrible thing. Terrible. Why are African Americans still dying at the hands of law enforcement in this country? And so are white people. So are white people. What a terrible question to ask. So are white people. More white people, by the way. More white people. What a terrible question to ask. Now, his answer is factual, but because it doesn't follow the narrative, it's considered controversial and racist and blasphemous and all the other horrible things that Trump is. Then later in the telecast of this show, the CBS This Morning, Catherine Herridge said this. Research suggests that black people are about three times more likely to be killed by police than white people. But the overall number of white people killed is higher because white people make up a larger percentage of the overall population. Okay, so research suggests that black people are about three times more likely to suggests Research suggests. Science doesn't suggest anything. Science concludes, but it doesn't suggest. If it suggests, it's not science. And I'm not just playing games with words here. I'm being literal. That the overall number of white people killed by cops is higher than the number of black people killed by cops. It's undeniable. CNN was not happy about this. CNN very disturbed. Little uh, little little Bakari Sellers was on with Allison Camerata this morning to talk about this. And uh, she's actually state representative of South Carolina, Bakari Sellers. And Camerata said, "What was that response?" He was very angry about even getting that question about African-Americans being killed by the police. The response was a lie. That's what it was. Uh, what we do know and what statistics show us is that African-Americans are three and a half more times likely to die uh, from use of force than, than white people in this country. Uh, they're more likely to incur use of force than white people in this country. And we have a serious problem. I can honestly tell you that if George Floyd was white, then he would probably still be alive today. Uh, well, there's ifs. 
I'll tell you, if George Floyd had been white and the same thing happened, we probably wouldn't have even seen the story. But boy, that's a controversial thing to say, too. If you say that to the wrong people, oh, man, are they going to get in your chili? But it's probably, it's true. So you see, science suggests three and a half times more likely, but the overall numbers are um, are what they are, and they are undeniable. I go back to the phones. This is Matt St. Augustine, Florida, the home of the Golf Hall of Fame. Great to have you on the EIB Network. Hello, sir. Hi, Rush. First of all, I love you. Just want to get that out first and foremost. Um, my call is about all of the over-reportings of these COVID cases, predominantly in Florida and Texas. So, you know, the media can get away with anything. Politicians can get up away with anything, say anything. They're immune to just about anything. A good civil case needs damages. How about this, Rush? Use your use your reach to get out there to some attorneys. Let's uh, let's get a class action lawsuit about out there for these companies that are uh, playing political games with medical testing now. And the damages are easy. How many hundreds of millions of dollars have been lost, and how many more are they trying to inflict on by 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 furthering the numbers through a you know a political manipulation of a medical report? Imagine if you checked in and had and showed up for cancer and they falsified the report for some other gain. Imagine the risk and the liability they'd be held. What's different with these? Why can't uh, a class action suit with very aggressive attorneys just bust these guys right in the chops? Well, the, the, you, you want to know the answer. The people that would do the class action lawsuit are in the same party as the people running the fake numbers. It's all the Democrat Party, and they're not going to sue themselves. I'll, I'll tell you, you're, you're, you're right about something, though. We've got fraudulent numbers all over the country. We know we got fraudulent numbers in Florida. From that, we can extrapolate. These labs are finally admitting they reported falsely. I'm sure they're saying it was a, a mistake. 100%. 100% uh, positivity when it was... 7.6, 9.8 positivity. And he's right, too, about the impact these numbers are having on. Let's look at look at uh, look at Hawaii. Hawaii is a great example. Oh, but by the way, one more thing on, on the numbers. The nurses that we've had here. Uh, one of them said that the numbers that they are coding and reporting are sent to the CDC. And it was her opinion that it's the CDC that's then code or corrupting the numbers before they get reported. Could be. The Trump administration just yesterday told hospitals to send their numbers directly to uh, uh, Health and Human Services and bypass the CDC. The CDC now gets them and sends them to Health and Human Services. The drive-by media outraged that Trump wants to bypass the CDC. They know what's going on at the CDC. The CDC is, is part of the equation where all of this misreporting may be taking place. And Trump wants it sent directly to his cabinet official at Health and Human Services rather than the CDC. And that just... That has them that has them ticked off. But look, here's here's how this 
manifests itself. In, in Hawaii, they have had a quarantine. There, no tourism for two or three months now. They're not let if you if you go to Hawaii from the mainland, the first thing that happens, they, they are told that you're coming. They have an official meet you when you get off the plane at the airport. And they immediately know what hotel you're staying at. And they follow you and make sure you go there and you have to stay quarantined for two weeks. You can't leave your hotel room for two weeks. So nobody's going. Why should you when the hotels are not open? They have been closed since March. Hawaii is total tourism. That's its business. That is its lifeblood. And there hasn't been any because the Hawaii state government has not allowed any. So a month or so ago, the government of Hawaii announced that they were going to open up on August 1st. This led to a lot of people investing a lot of money getting their businesses like their hotels and their restaurants and their bars and their strip clubs and the pole dances and all that ready to go for the new arrival of tourists. They spent a lot of money. People have invested millions of dollars getting their dormant hotels ready to go, polishing the poles in the pole dance places, making sure that the lamp dance is going to occur in a, in a pristine, disinfected uh, way. And then the state came along and announced, nope, oh, sorry, we're extending the lockdown to September 1st. So now people are out millions of dollars that they've invested in an August 1st reopen. Now stop and think if you own a hotel property in Waikiki, or if you happen to own any kind of investment, like a hotel property in the in the Kahala district of Oahu, which is on the southwestern side of Diamond Head, southeastern side of Diamond Head, I sh- folks, they're 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 breaking people. The, the, the state government in Hawaii is destroying itself. It's destroying the tourism. But now they claim they got great success. The show for this, they got a very low count. On the number of infections, they got very, very low count on the number of cases. They got very, very low count on the number of deaths. But the deaths of businesses. And Hawaii is a, it's a set of islands right out there in the South Pacific. They don't have any natural resources except for pineapples and coconuts, which is okay for pina coladas. But you still have to, they, 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 we'll see, pineapples, coconuts, uh, macadamia nuts, but the point, coffee, exactly. But no oil. They have to have shipments of oil and food that arrive every day to all those islands. And they come in various ways. They come in cargo aircraft. They come in by ocean-going vessel. Meaning there, if, if anything happens to disrupt the supply line, there's, there's not much in stockpile. They pretty much use everything that they get, but they haven't been needing anything. There's no, the hotels haven't been open. The restaurants haven't been open. I mean, it's, it's stunning to me. 
And they're very proud of their low numbers on the virus and deaths and so forth. But I don't know how the people that own hotels over there are staying afloat. I know that they're major, major chains, and I know they have hotels all over the world, but they didn't invest in and build these things to have them sit idle for four months at a time. How do you ever make that up? How do you ever make that back? And I I, I don't know if the people of Hawaii, I don't even know if they're complaining about it. I'm not there. Uh, Catherine's parents lived there, a lot of her family. So we were there a lot. And my golf buddies, we routinely schedule golf trips in uh, in Hawaii because one of the guys is Mr. Hawaii, Mike Hartley, and loved it. Just absolutely loved it. And I just shudder to think what's happening to the place now. And it, it's... It, you, same thing happening in every other state that is shut down to the max degree. They're ghost towns in some of these cities. And and you wonder, these people running these states and these cities, it, 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 to them, is money something that just exists? It's just there, and when you need some, you put in a phone call and it, it somehow shows up? Have any idea how money is created? I'm not talking about printed. I'm talking about how it's actually generated. I wonder this about the millennial generation. Do they understand really where money comes from? Do they understand how you get yours? They don't understand why some people have more than others. They just think it's intrinsically unfair that government needs to fix it. Anyway, uh, off the beaten path here a little bit. Anybody still questioning Donald Trump's uh, uh, support and loyalty within the Republican Party? If you are, you shouldn't be. I'll explain when we get back. Hey, look at this little some statistics here from St. Louis. Uh, Courtesy Gateway Pundit. St. Louis has 159 deaths attributable to COVID-19. St. Louis has 125 homicides and 50 children shot so far this year. So 125 homicides of 50, that's 170. We have more homicides and children shot than COVID-19 deaths in St. Louis. Hmm. And can we even believe the 159 COVID death number? Legitimate question to ask. Hey, look at this. Forbes is reporting that Black Lives Matter murals are being defaced in cities throughout the country. That's what it says here. Black Lives Matter mural outside Chicago painted over to read All Lives Matter earlier this week. Latest occurrence of what's become a nationwide trend in recent weeks of vandals defacing similar Black Lives Matter murals. Notice that Black Lives Matter painting in our streets is not considered vandalism. You can put Black Lives Matter in front of Trump Tower at Fifth Avenue and the mayor come out there and help people paint it. And that's not considered defacing anything or vandalism. The U.S. painfully comes to terms with an evolving public dialogue centered around racism following the death of George Floyd. 
So let's see. We have uh, Black Lives Matter murals in Oak Park, Illinois. That's suburb north of Chicago. Vandalized Tuesday night. Overnight Monday into Tuesday, Martinez, California. Local cops open investigation after White Lives Matter was illegally painted onto a roadway. Black Lives Matter, you can't, they can paint over anything. It's not illegal. White Lives Matter, you're flirting with law-breaking. Let's see. Um, Vermont. On Monday, state police in Vermont informed the attorney general's office that two Black Lives Matter roadway murals and a black trans Lives Matter mural were defaced. Last month in Baltimore, chalk messages written by elementary students on their school's walls in support of Black Lives Matter movement were power washed away by adults. So it appears that there is some pushback going on out there. I would also say painting on pavement is not a mural, but that's just me. A mural goes on a wall, comes from the French word mur, M-U-R, which means wall, which means it's a Latin word, which means anti-immigration at the end of the day. Yeah, Trump still has the magic within the Republican Party. The people he endorses win and win big. And we'll be discussing that. And there's still a bunch of other stuff left here in the stacks of stuff all straight ahead when we get back after this. Man, I don't know where the time is going today. It's just zipping right by trying to keep up with everything here and squeeze it all in at the same time. And we do. Uh, there's nobody out there. There is nobody out there that has the the content every three hours that this program has. It It's voluminous. It's omnivorous. It's encyclopedic. And we love providing it. Here's the phone number if you want to be part of the program. 800-282-2882. Send an email. I check them. It's L. Rushmo at eibnet.us. So I don't think there's, look, any doubt about it. Trump has united the Republican Party. The media is beside itself over this. They have been doing everything they can. And when I say media, I'm the Democrat Party. Everything they can to bust up Trump and his base support. They have shot their wa Everything in their ammo quiver they have fired and they haven't connected. They are beside themselves. I cannot tell you how frustrated they are. And that frustration is what is driving them toward madness. So there were some primary runoffs last night. And both of Trump's endorsed candidates won. One of them in a major, major, major landslide. Donald Trump has united the Republican Party. Something like now, what is it, 96%. Of the Republican Party supports Trump. You find it everywhere except uh, in the United States Senate. Pro-America, pro-law and order, pro-peace and prosperity. The message is working. Trump's endorsements are worth their weight in gold in Republican primaries. Fake news wants you to believe Trump is losing his base. Fake news wants you to believe Trump's losing everything. 
He's lost the magic. He has lost the mystique. He has lost everything that propelled him to victory in 2016. Not only that, he's out of touch. His ideas are out of step. He simply lost everything that he had. And, of course, the opposite is true. Trump's passionate defense of America, his passionate defense of America's founding and history and culture and exceptional people is pitch perfect. And it's amazing. It's unique. The Democrat Party. Stop and think of this for a second now. The Democrat Party is seeding C-E-D-I-N-G. They're giving away. They're letting Trump have sole access to America as founded, to America's history. They're allowing Trump sole access and possession as issues of our great culture and our exceptional people. The Democrat Party has invested totally in this counterculture uh America is rotten, America is unjust, America is unfair, America is racist, sexist, bigoted, homophobic. The Democrats want that because somehow they believe that Twitter is majority thinking in America. They believe that Twitter is the majority of thought in the United States. So they are letting Trump have sole access to everything that a majority of the American people want their country to be. And so the Democrat Party is really helping Trump in the sense that they're making it very cut and dried, the alternatives in this election. The Democrat Party is not even trying to fake that they love and respect America's history and founding. They're going all in on the idea that America is fraudulent, that America is Bigoted that America is unjust and immoral and unfair and doesn't deserve to exist as it does. Is that not flat out of it? That to me is what happens when a single political figure drives an entire political party insane. Would you do this if you if you had any position of power in the Democrat Party, if you were a political consultant, would you advise the party? To abandon the history and the founding and the culture of the United States? Would you advise that party to go all in on the notion that America is a gigantic lie and always has been and deserves to pay the price for all of the injustice and all of the morality and all the racism and sexism and bigotry that they've perpetrated for 244 years. They're letting Trump own and possess what a majority of Americans want their country to be. And one of the reasons has to be this this convoluted impression they have of Twitter. The New York Times has gone all in on Twitter represents America. You can see it. The New York Times, the people there have bought into the idea 
that a majority of Americans and certainly all of American liberalism, Democrat Party now despises the United States of America as founded, as built, as developed. It's mind-boggling when you ponder it because it's something you wouldn't think. I mean, I can understand a bunch of radical leftists, nobody's trying to be something adopting, but a whole political party choosing this and thinking that it is their route to nationwide victory up and down the ballot, that hating America, despising America, lying about America is the route to winning back their power. In the process of doing this, do you know what else the Democrats have abandoned? The center. They've abandoned the precious independence. The great unwashed of the undecided. It used to think the undecided were the key to victory. It used to be 20% of the electorate hadn't made up their minds because they were not closed-minded. They were not Republicans. They were not Democrats. So everybody fought for the 20%. The Democrats have abandoned even the 20%, and they are assuming that a minimum 51% of the people who vote in this country hate this country and are prepared to participate in overthrowing it and converting it into a socialist Marxist nation. And they believe that this is their route to power. They're not even going to pretend this time around during the campaign that they are moderates. They're not even going to pretend that they're centrists. They're going to let Trump own Make America Great Again, America First. They're going to let Trump own the American founding. Most of America is like Trump, resilient, tough, kind, tolerant, principled, optimistic by nature. Trump does not surrender to his enemies. He doesn't back away from principled fights. Transparent, authentic, cheerleader for progress and accomplishment. Hey, Mr. Sturdy, did you, do you happen to see Trump's uh, Rose Garden thing yesterday? Did you watch it? Damn. Do you see it, Dawn? Do you see it, Brian? Am I the only guy that keeps working when I go home? I, I guess I am. Well, I wanted to know what you thought of it out there because a lot of people are ripping it. Even some Trump supporters were made uncomfortable by it. Because he turned, it, you know, calls a press conference, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. If you see a picture of this, by the way, Trump and his podium are in the shade and the drive-bys are in the broiling sun. They're holding stuff over their heads. It's 95 degrees out there. It's almost like he looked out the window of the Oval Office and said, you know what, let's get the media in here and bake them. A lot of people thought, not a lot, some people said to me, that, 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 don't use the Rose Garden and the Oval Office uh, press conference to trash your, your election opponent. It just seemed, I don't know. Other people thought it was brilliant. Trump gets them in there and then basically does a rally. 
appearance. It went on for over an hour, and he trashed Biden. And we've put together just the trashing of Biden as one long soundbite, which I'll get to in a moment. Uh, Jeff Sessions was trying to win his Senate seat back last night, a Senate seat he held for decades. You know, Jeff Sessions, I, I know Trump doesn't like him. I know Trump thinks that Jeff Sessions is not very smart. And it all goes back to Sessions recusing himself from the Russia investigation as Attorney General. Trump thought, you know, Sessions was the first senator to endorse him. And it was over immigration. And Trump rewarded him by making him Attorney General, something Sessions had as a career objective. And then he recuses himself and didn't tell anybody he was going to do it. And it made a lot of people mad. And Trump still isn't over it. He thinks that that Sessions recusing himself was essentially um, giving the Democrats another weapon to fire at him. It was unnecessary and it it blindsided Trump. It never appointed him if he had known he was going to recuse himself. And if he hadn't recused himself, we wouldn't have had Mueller, you know, Trump believes. So when Sessions seeks his Alabama Senate seat, Trump makes sure to endorse his opponent, Tommy Tuberville, who is the former coach at Auburn. Now, Tuberville is a Trumpist as well. Tuberville is a tough conservative. He's a, he's, a, he's a good guy. He's a brilliant football mind as well, which means he's a brilliant tactician and strategist as well. Uh, football is not... Contrary to what people think, the dumb guys game, particularly at the head coach level, at either in college or the NFL. But it was a it was a landslide. It was I don't have the numbers in front of me here, but it was sixty seven thirty three. Some of that it was it was a devastating loss. For Jeff Sessions, I'm sure he hoped that the people of Alabama would send it back. But I'm telling you, folks, Trump was in there and he was savaging Sessions and he was hyping Tommy Tuberville. But Sessions, I've I've known Jeff Sessions for a long time. And I'm, I'm just I'm going to tell you, I, I, know, I know Trump's got his problems with him, but he, there's no finer gentleman that you would ever meet than Jeff Sessions. And he's a throwback. He's 73 years old. He is a throwback to the America we all used to assume was going to be the America forever. He took the stage last night and praised Trump and praised Tuberville, who had just wiped him out in a landslide. He said that Trump's vision for America is right. He said, let me say this about the president and our relationship. I leave with no regrets. I was honored to serve the people of Alabama in the Senate. I was extraordinarily proud of the accomplishments we had as attorney general, including recusing myself from the Russia investigation. As I said, Trump has never gotten over that. But you know... 
the thing about Sessions, he loses something he, 63-37, he loses something he really wanted badly, a Senate seat back. And he was the definition of grace. You know, people talk about grace and virtue and manner. He praised Tuberville. He said he's going to support Tuberville. We have got to keep the Republican majority in the Senate. We have got to keep Trump in the White House. He's up there telling the people of Alabama who supported him to don't get mad, to not get mad and keep supporting Trump and support Tuberville because Tuberville's got to beat a Democrat in November to get the seat. It's the kind of thing that you used to see that we sometimes still do, but not much. Seems to me that that, that uh, Sessions is still in good health. But at 73, I don't know if he's going to run for anything uh, ever again. But even after a 63-37 landslide defeat, he made certain that everybody knows that he is looking at the country and what's best for it and taking the high road. And he said point blank that he is going to do everything he can to see to it that Trump gets four more years in office. Now, he, you know, may behind the scenes not do that. But publicly, he's saying everything that you would expect a well-mannered, virtuous, and cultured person to say. He said he's going to even campaign for Tuberville. He knows we need to hold the Senate. Got to defeat Doug Jones. By the way, some people think it's Tommy Tuberville, but it's not. You would think there'd be two B's in there to make it Tuberville. But I guess the guy didn't want to have his nickname Tube. So he's uh, Tommy Tuberville. I remember him when he was coach at Auburn. But you listen to him. If you haven't, you'll, be, you'll have a chance to lately, and I think you'll be impressed by him. Let's take another brief break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh on the cutting edge of societal evolution. And we go back to the phones. Bill in Plymouth, Michigan. Thank you for waiting, sir. You're up next. Hello, Rush. I'm so glad to have gotten through to you. I couldn't believe I got through. I'm glad you did. Yeah, uh, I was listening to an earlier caller uh, who was talking about uh, the coding uh, of the uh, test results uh, that some, uh, I guess some of the people hadn't even been tested. Right. And it, and it reminded me of my own story uh, back in March uh, when all of the shutdowns started here in Michigan. Um, I remember I went out jogging because I didn't have anything else to do and I uh, got a little short of breath. So I called my doctor, and he did a uh, telephone uh, diagnosis, uh, said that he was 90% sure that I was COVID positive. Um, I didn't have a fever. I didn't have any other symptoms, just shortness of breath and a little bit of fatigue. Um, So he put me in quarantine for 10 days. Um, After the 10 days were over, um, my doctor told me that he could not test me. He said that uh, they're not testing anybody unless they're really, really sick uh, or they're in a hospital. All right, so the bottom line is you didn't have it, let me guess. Yeah, I, I, think, we've, I think we've lost the call. 
Uh, I think what he was going to say is that um, uh, he got a presumptive diagnosis on the phone, and yet says he was tested four times. He never had COVID. Um, that's what we call anecdotal. You know, it doesn't mean anything. Anybody can call here and say anything, anything they want. But the point is, he's trying to weigh in on the idea that these numbers out there have been massaged and amplified. And we don't know. We, we can't trust what we're being told about uh, about any of this. Um, uh, Robin in Delray Beach, I was going to come to you next, but I have less than a minute. And that wouldn't be fair. Even though I'm sure you could say what you want to say less than a minute, that wouldn't be fair. So we'll hit you, uh, I'll come to you uh, after the break at the bottom of the hour. Uh, also, again, Trump's address yesterday his his press conference which really was a campaign event he just he spent most of the time bashing biden and promoting himself and the press showed up thinking it was an afternoon press conference so they are livid to have been used that way even carl rove has weighed in said it just seemed a bit unseemly this is not how the rose garden or the uh, Oval Office uh, should be used. We'll leave it to you. To, you know, maybe you want to weigh in on that. Uh, quick timeout. Back with more in just a second. Robin Delray Beach, glad you waited. Great to have you here. Hello. Thank you, Rush. It's a great blessing to speak to you. I want to just first tell you how um, how impressed I was and how just inspired I was by your talk yesterday about this is not who we are and that life must be lived. And that um, it's about more than just ourselves. So I want to thank you for that. You're and very welcome. Good, I'm glad you heard it. Fight. Yes, thank you. So I just wanted to mention to you about the interview that you spoke about earlier with the CDC and um, about the rise in cases of COVID in South Florida having to do with the northern influx. And my husband and I just looked at each other. Because um, we have eyewitnessed that for at least a month in South Florida. We live in Delray Beach. And um, the downtown, I, I wouldn't want to say that one out of every four cars or three cars is from a northern state. So we have definitely been seeing that here for at least a month. And finally, someone has said it. Well, uh, that's an example of being on the cutting edge. See, you're at the right place. You either had something you know validated, which is what happened in this case, or it could have been that you learned something you didn't know. Uh, either service that we provide is extremely valuable. If you're wondering what this is about, the Centers for Disease Control said that it's not in Florida and Texas and, and some other, other southern states, uh, at, at Georgia, this increase in new cases is not now this is the cdc and this place is not full of trumpists okay the cdc said it is not the fact that these states opened early that's not why the massive uh, number of new cases it's because a bunch of people from florida or rather from the northeast left over the memorial day weekend and came south and brought the virus with them now that is a profound admission or you could say assertion. I mean, for the CDC to come out and say it's not because the states opened early or too early. It's, it's not because the states have been irresponsible in policy. It's because a bunch of people who have been infected, and it's not that they're, 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 they're sick now, but they, they tested positive. They've brought it with them. 
as they have come down over the Memorial Day week to vacation. I, I just found it was a stunning admission for the CDC to make. Because the media and the Democrats are trying to blame DeSantis and Kemp, governor in Georgia, and Greg Abbott, the governor in Texas. They're trying to blame all these guys for irresponsibly opening the states early to get their economies going. And that's not at all what had uh, what had happened. Thanks very much, Robin. By the way, Dr. Ronnie Jackson, the uh, White House doctor for Trump, he was also victorious. He ran in Texas uh, last night for a House seat, and he was victorious. And so it's another guy that Trump endorsed, obviously. Uh, and I want, we've got a soundbite from Tuberville. I want you to hear Tommy Tuberville. He was on Fox and Friends this morning with Ducey. And uh, some of the other people there. He got the question, the president over the last month, number 19, Mike, the president over the last month or so has endorsed a couple of candidates who did not win in Colorado and North Carolina. So was the pressure on you to win over Jeff Sessions. I'm a huge Donald Trump fan. I think he's done a great job with four or five people hanging. He's a quarterback. He's in the pocket. And he's got people hanging all over him, but he's still completing passes. This country's in trouble. That's the reason I'm running. Now, I want to be a part of what's going to happen in the next few years when we get President Trump reelected. President Trump knows he's got to get jobs back. He's got to get people jobs, and he's doing that. He's working hard. I was on Air Force One with him not too long ago. I said, Mr. President, I don't know what you're taking, but I want to take it. I want the energy you got. This guy's unbelievable. Tommy Tuberville is a good guy, and I. Uh, the more you hear him speak, I think the more confident guy like him you will be. Look, while I have time, grab soundbite number 12. The Trump Oval Office Rose Garden address yesterday was announced as a press conference at 5 p.m. And Trump came out at 5.30, a half hour late. The drive-bys are sitting there, and they are all got their masks on, and they're socially distanced, and... Trump launches into a campaign-type rally attack on on Biden. And he started talking how great he's been on China and how wonderful he's been fighting the virus. And I said to myself, a lot of people are going to be nervous about this because this is, um, you know, this is not what presidential press conferences, Oval Office addresses are for. And I said, people, but Rush, Obama did it all the time, and Clinton did it all. Yeah, I know, and it, 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 it's, it's still. So what we've done, we assembled most of what the president said about Biden and put it in one sound bite. It's over two minutes, and this, if I don't play it now, I'm not going to have time. And here it is. This is... Uh, Probably the, the best two-minute example of what this appearance yesterday was. Biden and President Obama freely allowed China to pillage our factories, plunder our communities, and steal our most precious secrets. Biden's entire career has been a gift to the Chinese Communist Party. Biden supported China's entry into the World Trade Organization, one of the greatest geopolitical and economic disasters in world history. Biden was a leading advocate of the Paris Climate Accord, which was unbelievably expensive to our country. 
would have crushed American manufacturers. America lost nearly 10,000 factories while Joe Biden was vice president. Biden personally led the effort to give China permanent, most favored nation status. Biden wants to defund our military. Biden opposed tariffs. Biden didn't just side with China on the virus. He called me xenophobic. He said that the idea that China is our competition is really bizarre. He's really bizarre. He said China is not a problem. Biden expressed more fawning praise about China on an ordinary day than about America. On the 4th of July, Biden is pushing a platform that would demolish the U.S. economy. I don't think Texas is going to do too well. They're going to get rid of about 7 million jobs if you go by the Biden plan. Joe Biden put AOC, a young woman not talented in many ways, in charge of his energy plan. Biden released his unity platform developed with Socialist Bernie Sanders, the Biden-Sanders agenda is the most extreme platform of any major party nominee by far in American history. This is Biden. Rip down the wall, end all travel bans, grant mass amnesty, increase refugee admissions by 700 percent, close our prisons, abolish our police departments, end school choice. Where is Hunter, by the way? Hunter Biden walked out with $1.5 billion. Biden was here for 47 years. Now he says he's going to be president. As president, he's going to do all the things that he didn't do. He never did anything except make very bad decisions. Yeah, one of the themes yesterday was every time he said Biden is going to do this or that, and he quoted Biden on policy, Trump said, why didn't he do it when he was there? Four years ago, they were going to, for eight years. Why didn't any of this stuff happen when he was there? Which is the best question you can ask to anything Biden does except his answer. Well, I'm changing the agenda. We're going to go full-fledged left-wing like Obama was. He just wouldn't say it. The difference is we're going to say it. Now, Karl Rove was not happy with this use of the Rose Garden. He was on uh, America's Newsroom today on Fox, and John Roberts said, look, the president's remarks yesterday turned into a broadside against Biden. It looked like a campaign rally. What did you think of it? That's one of the great ironies about a president running for re-election is that they're always stronger when they focus uh, most of their energy and effort and message on the things that they do as president. Imagine what it would be today if the president had been focused only on Hong Kong, only on China, had made the points about what he was doing to confront him, could have taken a sort of a glancing blow at saying, my predecessor were not willing to undertake these tough steps. I am. That would have been the message for the day. But instead, we had this 64-minute long, diffuse sort of pseudo-campaign event. Don't use presidential events as campaign events. Try and turn campaign events into presidential events. Quick timeout. Back and continue after this. Here is Stephen Covina, California. Glad you waited, sir. Hello. Thank you, Rush. It is a honor. And I just want to tell you, I uh, came home from work yesterday. I uh, watched the president's uh, news conference. And as far as I'm concerned, there was no campaigning. He was just strictly telling the truth about these leftist pigs and how they're going to destroy this country. And uh, living in California, we have a lot of liberal friends here, which we don't talk politics. Wait a minute. you got a bunch of leftist pigs in California. Let's be consistent. Yes. Yes, we do. And uh, I just want to say a lot of them have seen what's going on around the country, and they swear up and down they will never, ever vote blue ever again. So 
these, this rioting and destruction of all our cities is not going to work for them, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it is. And, the, uh, I, the fact that the Democrat Party... Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. I, I, I appreciate it. He wasn't bothered at all. I don't think any member of the Trump base would be bothered by what happened. See, I think this word, all these conventional wisdom beltway politicians and... Uh, uh, campaign professionals, they consult. They don't. They don't. Still don't understand why Trump was elected. They don't understand why people support Trump. They just. They don't see any. Even with this pandemic, they don't see the country in crisis. And certainly not because of anything the Democrats are doing. They don't. They just. It's the strangest thing that this is so wide open right in front of everybody's face and the professionals in Washington in politics still don't understand it. Which means after this many years they never are going to. Just enough time to say thank you so much for being with us. We gotta go. Back tomorrow my friends and we'll pick up right where we left off. Whatever's hot between now and then we'll be on it. Looking forward to being back. See you then. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 